12 of Matthew, and if you would, stand with me for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to start in the 33rd verse through this 37th verse. Jesus says, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Uh, We'll get to it. If you thought that's a nice word, that's not a nice word to them. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it has been, please be seated, sorry about that. It has been quite a week, wouldn't you say? Starting last Sunday, uh, if you will, at the beginning, we had uh, a service that was not scripted. Uh, Some of you who were not here may have heard about that. Uh, And I, I just want to encourage with Francis and with Uh, your heart, that hopefully you come with that anticipatory heart and mindset every week. Not that things have to always go unscripted, but that the Lord is always working. Can I just tell you this week, I was, in fact, I was praying with Kathy yesterday, and we usually do towards the evening uh, when I pray over our meal. I pray, Lord, prepare us for worship. Uh, And it was more of like, uh, if you do anything, Immediately, I was convicted of heart and of mind and realized, Lord, you are always doing something. Forgive me. Excuse me, I'm going to step over here. For some odd reason, my nose wishes to run right now. So maybe, just maybe, you have kind of that same mindset. You come to church and go, okay, let's just... Do it, if you know what I mean. And I just ask uh, that you would just lean in and say, Lord, is that my heart right now? Is that my heart? Just, just, just do it so I can get going. And if it is, be honest with him. And if it's what your heart wants to be, then let it be. Um, I don't think he'll argue with you. He is a gentleman, um, and he'll let it be. But uh, for the rest of us, Uh, that may want to see the Lord uh, speak to us, may we invite him into that. We also uh, had to uh, live, again, another tragedy in our land, and very close to us, right, Uh, where uh, it happened on a university campus. And the incredible thing is while, uh, while the tragedy happened at Michigan State University, uh, the tragedy is coming, it came closer to home to, to, to some of us and uh, in many different ways. And so uh, it's not just praying for them, you do realize that. It's also praying for us and how we respond 
to the world around us. And it truly is, as followers of Jesus, how we do respond to the world around us. And uh, we then process it through the, the eye of what the Lord wants us to do with that. I am glad you are with us. At Ipsy Free, we believe in the God of the Bible. We believe he created us and made us out of his deep, deep love for us. And that we believe this, that he continues to pursue us from that deep love that he created us in. We believe this. We know he loves us and pursues us because his son, Jesus, was willing to give his life and rescue and redeem us. And thus, as a community of faith, we believe our worship is is to love God. It is to love all people, and it is to follow Jesus together in our world, wherever he may lead. And so I I hope you know that love. If you don't know that love of Jesus, of which he he desires, the table is set before us. It really, truly is, as I wrote in an email to our church family, a table of love, a table of invitation that we will take in a few moments. Trees is our message title this today. Jesus states that we can make a tree good or bad. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how many trees you planted in your life, uh, but I planted a few in my lifetime, and a tree is a tree is a tree. And how do you make a tree good or bad? But this is the incredible thing with uh, some of the imagery that we find in Scripture. Now, if you have your Bibles, I know you had you in Mar- uh, Matthew chapter 12. We'll get back to that. But I want, uh, if you will, you can turn there or it'll be on the screen. I-, I want us to look at Mark 8. I want us to look at Mark 8. Uh, it, it, there's a lot here, uh, but there's a, I, hopefully there's a point that will be woven to the end. It says this, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then, he, then his eyes were opened, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into, go into the village. Now, let's wrestle, for this, wrestle with this for a minute, and it's not what you might think about wrestling with this for a minute, that would be ideal. The idea that Jesus, it took Jesus two times to heal him, it's not necessarily that, but it could be bound in that. It could it very well be that Jesus actually restored his eyes the first time. Now think with me about this. All throughout scripture, we are given this kind of conceptual idea that man or humans are like trees. And that maybe, just maybe, he, Jesus went, oh, whoops, gave you too clear of a picture, need to blur it a little bit more. Because we are to be like trees. We are to be like trees. 
I know, it's kind of far-fetched, and another scholar, well, I don't think it's so far-fetched. Uh, Dr. Tim Mackey actually wrestles with this whole idea through multiple episodes on trees and the concept of trees within Scripture. But none of my scholarly books kind of lean into that. But I wonder, I wonder, just maybe, this blind man, uh, in his blurry state, as the text says, was actually seeing more clearly with the potential of seeing more clearly than we kind of think. Now, back to, well, let me, let me just share this. Isaiah 65, 22 says, No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, it's kind of an interesting thought, as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will enjoy long, long enjoy. And then Psalm 1, we could go on and on, but Psalm 1 is that imagery of a person who is like a tree planted by streams of water. So when we come across this concept, and this is what I'm attempting to introduce you, and even in the passage we're going to look at, trees are not just simply trees as you might think. That they have a long-standing imagery and that Jesus in this just one sentence off is making a point that is uh, rather rooted, if you will. So, Matthew chapter 12. This is not one of those passages of Scripture that we often kind of walk through with, with ease, but hopefully we can do that today. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, starting in the 22nd verse, which is really the top of our Scripture. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Now, if we have not, we need to come to grips with the reality that Jesus understands that there is multi-dimensions happening around us all the time. That there's the one we live in and the uh, the one that we can't see that he tends and we as followers of Jesus tend to dip our hands in and are a part of. And this other realm has a bearing on the realm in which we live in. Uh, that may be not, they may not be news to us, but sometimes we wander around thinking that's news to us. And this other realm uh, is, is, has the bearings of bringing about the, the, uh, the destruction of the devil, Right? The sickness and sufferings tend to be and can be the outcomes of this demonic realm that is beyond. Now Jesus heals and be, people begin to talk about this. They begin to go, whoa, wait a second. Because he, they begin to usher these words that are offensive to the Pharisees. Could he be the son of David? Could this Jesus, the one in which things are happening in Asbury we attribute it to, and the one we attribute things to Jesus to in scriptures, could he be this son of David that was promised? Uh, Let me just say this. The Pharisees, they're not wanting to let any of this gain traction. Much like, and many, in many ways, much like uh, the traction that we, that some may not want is happening around the world with what's happening in Asbury and attributing it to Jesus and his presence and his work. So they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Uh, there are a couple of things to note before we get into like peeling this back. 
Uh, one, the Pharisees do not refute that there was a miracle done. Now think about that. They could have said, whoa, I didn't say anything. <laughs> but they don't. And when, when Jesus heals this man who is recognized to be demon-possessed, not just by Jesus, not just by the disciples, but by the greater crowd, they simply want to redirect it in a, in a way that peels it away from Jesus, away from the kingdom, and away from giving him glory. Number two, because the Pharisees could not dismiss the miracle that happened, they direct their comments to the source of Jesus' healing. The source of Jesus' healing. By suggesting that the source of his power was the devil puts the big questions about whether he could actually be the son of God. They're like, nah, he's, he's a, you know, a, a device of the evil one, right? He gets his power from Beelzebub. And they attribute and discredit his, his, the veracity of what he has just done. Now, I, I don't think this is probably lost on us, but in case uh, we wonder whether this still takes place, I, I, attri- I already mentioned Asbury. You might have some of those uh, lines of thought, comments, and conversations about that, but it happens all too more and more frequently. When somebody says, hey, did you read what Jesus did? And they want to dismiss him as a good moral teacher. Now, that seems laudable to us at times, but that should draw us back and make us gasp, I think, a little bit because what they're doing is they're pulling his power away from who he is because there are a lot of good moral teachers we quote, Gandhi. I mean, I mean, just you go on, the list goes on, but they are attempting to peel away the power that is presented in Jesus. Verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? He's just simply, uh, as many of you would do, bringing logic to the logic. It's not this hard conversation at all. It's like if, if it's truly, if it's truly uh, born of evil then the the house will fall if it's truly of that and Jesus begins to just shine the light on the darkness of their words that come from the well of their hearts we'll get to it in a second Jesus continues to go on and if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Uh, remember the words he spoke. I mean, I think Matthew chapter 4 were the first times we heard the word. Repent, for the kingdom of God is where? Near. It's right here. It's right before you. It's like, look. So Jesus is saying, if I drive out demons through Beelzebub, then who do your people, uh, who do your people drive them out by? Did you get that? Because their people were driving out demons too. Now, uh, if you want to get a little heady on that and do a little work, they had a lot more calisthenics that they went through in order to drive out demons. Jesus just spoke a couple of words like come out right be healed 
and they were. This is incredible power demonstrated by the king of kings. And it stood in complete contrast to what they would have known and even practiced, and they were blown away. To be really honest, they were blown away at the power and the authority that was coming from Jesus because it's clear, it's simple, and it was free. It's clear, it's simple, and it's free. He says to them and us, if I am, if I am then the kingdom of God is in your midst. But if I'm not, it'll fall. Uh, these, are, these are similar words that uh, I think Gamaliel had, right? He's like, well, if it, if it comes to pass, then you, you're not going to stop it. The train's going to roll. Kingdom's going to come. But if it isn't, it will, it will actually, there will be a train wreck. And I'm not trying to use low, uh, current news, but it does seem to fit. I think, can I ask this? Can I just say this? I think the Spirit whispers even now to anyone who reads this with an open mind and open heart, who do you say that I am? I mean, that's exactly what he is saying to the Pharisees. Who do you think I am? And he asks us, am I who you say I am? Will you allow me to be who, I've, who you say to other people that I am? Oh. Jesus goes on. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Jesus understood his mission and the spiritual warfare at hand. He understood it. Well, many have wrestled on this point and have chewed long and hard, it may not be as complex as we might want to make it out to be. Uh, John tells us in John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So who is the strong man in this situation? The strong man, the strong man, I think what Jesus is saying, is the evil one of the age, the, the one who uh, plunders kills, destroys, he is the strong man. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his, his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Who can tie up the strong man? Only Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross, who gives us an empty grave. He is the one who can tie up the, tie up the strong man and can plunder his house. And what is, just, what is transpiring in this, in this episode with the Pharisees? He is plundering the house of the strong man, even in this moment. Think about it. He's restored, he's restored uh, the ability to talk and to hear. He's restored the person back to wholeness and health. He is the only one that can plunder. <laughs> so the word we find this word plunder uh, again in this prophetic words of the Old Testament, Isaiah 49, verses 24 and 25. Can plunder be taken from warriors? Are captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend. Who is speaking? I will contend with those, with you and your children. I will save. 
I am going to draw it back into present day. I can't help to do that. What is transpiring out of the university, out of the universities around our world uh, in our nation, especially who have received this gift of the Spirit? What is happening? I believe it's one, it's a deliverance of God's love into those places and spaces to transform hearts. It is, it is this passage coming to light, friends. It is this passage coming to light. He is contending for our children. Jesus continues on and clarifies this following and living out the kingdom life. 30, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Uh, there's, There's not a lot here except this clarity. Neutrality in following Jesus is not a possibility. Pausing your growth in Jesus is not an option. He loves you. He is gracious, but saying, you know what, Jesus, I, I just need to put you on pause. Having a, con- I mean, that is not a possibility because pause means you regress. I, I think this is clear. When we continually, uh, when, when we're continually placing other things, other options, other whatever, uh, and choosing those things over Jesus, we're choosing for evil, is what he's saying. We don't have any other choice. So neutrality toward Jesus is hostility toward him. Verse 31. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Let's first start at the top of this passage because we sometimes get tangled up in the, in the mire of the, of the rest of it, which we probably should in some case. But there is grace and mercy and love at the front end. Did you read it? So I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Father. Yet what do the rest of these words uh, um, imply to us what are they saying to us i think what they're saying and what jesus is attempting to arrest the pharisaical hearts that are listening is this look if you allow the temperament of your heart to be in opposition to who i am and what i am doing around the world then your heart sets you against me not me that's exactly what's happening here uh, that's, what happened to the, that's what happened to Pharaoh. Uh, the idea is that Pharaoh, uh, his heart was already hard toward the things of God. And as time went on, they became even harder. Thus the passage says that God hardened his heart. It, God was God. He, re, he presented himself as God and his heart became harder and harder based on his own temperament. It is the same with us or the same with friends around us who are obstinate to the work God places in different places in us and draws us to. 
right? And then we want to attribute it as they just did. They want to attribute it to the evil one, the Satan, the Beelzebub. I don't think Jesus is talking about an, uh, uh, an isolated time period, but it's a, a period of time where our heart becomes more and more hardened, and it's, it's really the, the temperament of the person's heart, not God's heart towards the person. Does that make sense? Right? I had a friend in Coldwater who uh, at one point in his life, he was like, God, and he told him this, get lost. And uh, he wrestled. Uh, he, he drawn back to church uh, through a series of events, wrestled with these words that he had spoken. And uh, they're very real. They can, they can be spoken out of our mouth. I, was, I personally was convinced that he, his heart had been warmed to God and that the, the opportunity of this idea of being blaspheming the Holy Spirit was not a part of his existence anymore, but he continued to uh, perseverate. I think that's the word. On his words... And, but his heart became warmer to what God wanted to do. I mean, he obsessed on them. This kind of obstinance is real. This kind of opposition is real. That's my point. Leanne Moore says, uh, and it's this kind of a person, and I like this quote because I think it, it kind of gives us an eye and an understanding of what that kind of person is. They called God good evil. People in such situations cannot, cannot repent, seek forgiveness. They lack a sense of sin. They reject God's confidence to declare what is right. It is this continuing attitude that is the ultimate sin. Verse 33, he speaks these words. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good and make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit he's reteaching and re-emphasizing what he has already taught in Matthew uh, chapter 5 8 6 and 7 I will just say it all but he was reteaching he says that a tree will be known by their fruit there's there is a reality that we cannot make a tree yet we can and we do, because the tree is you and me and the Pharisees who are standing around. And so the question becomes, and as some of you have been wrestling with in these, la- in these few days, what are you making of yourselves? In cooperation, in collaboration with the Holy Spirit, what are you making? What kind of tree are you becoming? He continues, Verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, and a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. 
in case you need a, a, a conversion, he, he's calling uh, the Pharisees snakes, just like his cousin called them snakes earlier. This reference to the slithering fork-tongued one who deceives and continues to twist what is right and true. I do think as we look at this passage, we can kind of walk away going, whoa, he just delivered just a heavy blow, right? Uh, There's a warning and a hope that are wrapped into the truth and judgment Jesus brings to these words that he lays before the Pharisees, but he lays before us today. We have to remember that judgment is making right all the things that are wrong in the world. In, in light of Jesus, it is making those things that are wrong right. Jesus putting hope before people. He's, Jesus is wanting to heal the broken because of the corruption of sin and the suffering that the evil one has, has thrust on them. He delivers the de- demon and brings healing and wholeness to them. This is the mission of Jesus. This is his goal. This is his desire. And in this passage, while we can see it with just a heaviness of maybe even a doom and gloom, I believe he is saying that hope is not lost. Even to those Pharisees who may be, you know, kind of leading too hard to whatever side you want to lean to. He desires to redeem them. There is hope in the warning that Jesus speaks to us today. There's hope and an invitation into the realm of the kingdom. Yet, as we know, Jesus does not coerce. He's not going to force anyone to be rescued or be redeemed. We each have the freedom of choice. In fact, in our Our framework, that freedom, we call it love. I mean, that's the ultimate love. That he loves us so much that he gives us the, he allows us the ability to choose what we want. He did for Adam and Eve in the garden, and he continues to do it for us today. Yet he invites us with a stern warning and hope into this life. So what is Jesus getting at with this whole passage? Because there seems to be just kind of a mash of things put together. I don't know, but this is what I pulled away from it, and this is where the Lord's leading me today. Jesus tied our heart, uh, that our, he's tying our heart irrevocably to our mouth. Now think about what these Pharisees have spoken. Out of their mouth is a deliverance of what was in their hearts. Their heart of uh, of pride, of arrogance, of rejection, whatever. For the mouth speaks with a heart is full of a man who brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word he says they will have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, he says. By your words you will be condemned. 
Jesus' half-brother kind of continues that thought and that framework. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body but makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. Sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it sets and it in itself is itself set on fire by hell. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but, the, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You brood of snakes. Can you picture it? Uh, oh, well, uh, we don't use them very often in, in our day and age, not even around in third world countries. They go and have well dr- wells that are, are dug and then they have pumps and that type of thing. But can you imagine uh, a well in your heart? And you're in one of those heated conversations with an opposition. Whoever that opposition at the moment may be. And you find that you take that well and you, you lower that bucket to, to redeem those words from the deep well of your heart. And they come out of your mouth and you realize what you have said is vile. It is caustic. It's abusive. It's evil. Could I just tell you that far too many times in my married life with my lovely, beautiful, gracious, giving wife, I have, I have lowered that well. I've lowered it probably with some of you too, but with her more than any of you. Can you imagine? And I've lowered that well, and the words have come out of my mouth. pure evil and and maybe and in those moments it's like afterwards it's like this deep deep well of like and a quick I'm I'm sorry what Jesus tells us is that That's what's in your hearts. That's what he tells me in those moments. Matthew 12, 34, he says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Uh, Matthew 12, 34 in the NLT. And then the message, it says, How do you suppose what you say is worth anything when you're so foul-minded? And we tend to go, oh, that's not what I intended. (laughs) And maybe there's some truth to that. But Jesus' truth trumps whatever truth you want to say next. Some of us are less verbal than others. Some of us are verbal processors, right? And we find ourselves... uh, asking for forgiveness on a 
on a continual basis, it seems. But even if you're less verbal, what do you say when that one person isn't around? Are you cynical or sarcastic in your language? Where whatever comes out of your mouth is, is even if there's sincerity and part of it there comes out with barbs and a catch and, and, and mixed with the real meaning. How often, how often do you use your words to encourage and lift somebody up? And not with the people, like Jesus said, who love you but those who are your enemies are most difficult to be around. Do those moments you are now recalling in your mind's eye become a momentary lapse of judgment, or do they come from somewhere deeper? See, our Father desires that our words come from the overflow of the heart of what he's doing, what he's changing, what he is transforming in us. The words that are kind and sincere, loving and humble and gentle. Are these your words? Are these even my words? We need to be people who share with one another the kinds of words, uh, kind words we, with one another. We are quick to use words in disparagement of others and a voice of opposition. So, kind of mashed up there. Not supposed to be, I don't think. But how, what well is your bucket going down to? See, the real, the real work of, of awakening or outpouring is the transformation of the person from the inside out who takes what the Lord is doing in them, uh, not only hungers for the Lord's work, but takes what the Lord is doing in them to the people around them. Because that's what Jesus did, right? Be healed. He heals the demon-possessed man. Gives him wholeness. So this morning, as we move towards communion, Ask the Spirit to search you. Ask the Spirit to search you. Uh, Psalm 139 is clear. David's words read this way. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Let's, Let's ask the Spirit to search us. It's not just the words that we have spoken, but the words even contained in our minds. He wants us to consider our words. 
because our words come from a well of good water or bad water, and they create trees that are good or bad. Let's pray. Father, We, uh, we need your refining fire of love, not just to purify us in one, one moment, but as, uh, as Kathy prayed rightly, Lord, that your fire would uh, purify us and go before us, Lord, to illuminate what is transpiring in us, Lord, that we may become more, more like you. As John the Baptist said, I need I need less of me and more of Jesus. Lord, we need to be more like you. And in the day of far too many words, and many of them empty, Lord, allow our words to be weighted with the Holy Spirit. Bring your mercy on us, Father. Bring your mercy on us.